And I got hundreds of messages from people all around the world thanking me, wanting to donate additional rounds. It was a movement. It was less the total number and more the response from people that made me realize, okay, something is here. I have hit on an emotional element of human beings that works. And then just very fortuitously, which a lot of the last eight months of my life have been, a couple writers in the golf industry had been following the story on social media and asked if they could interview me. Next thing you know, I was written up in a bunch of golf magazines. The New York Post did an article on my story and we got a decent amount of press. After that, again, I'm still just like, this is fun, this is great. Well, then about 20 nonprofits reached out and they said, you were so successful doing this for COVID. Can you help us with cancer and social services and youth golf and on and on and on? And I said, I think so. And so I said, sure, and just figured out a scalable model that could work and spun it up into a platform called Member for a Day. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us, and please subscribe to the show so you hear all the upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Eric Sendres, founder and CEO of Member for a Day. Member for a Day is passionate about helping nonprofits and charitable foundations achieve their goals by using technology, social media, and golf to meet and exceed their fundraising goals. And their mission is simple, and I love this. Play golf, change the world. I had a conversation with Eric about a week ago after we got introduced there, and I just love this story. You're going to be in for a treat here today as far as what Eric is doing and why he's doing it. So with that, hey, Eric, thanks so much for joining us today, and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Colin, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, hey, I'm excited. You can tell in my voice here. So, Eric, let's start. Usually I ask the question, what was your first connection to golf and the first time you swung the golf club? But I want to start in a different place with you. Let's start pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. You were working in New York City, basically a completely other life other universe. So tell us about that story. Let's start there with you working in New York and let's roll the tape there and tell us a little bit about how you ended up creating the aha moment of what you're doing now with Member for a Day. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. You know, even just sitting here today, it feels like a completely different world that I was living in. So I was I was living in New York City. I was working for venture capital backed tech companies, running business development and partnerships for them. You know, enjoying the work. Everything was really going well. Although I've always wanted to work in golf, I could just never find my my way. I guess you could say. And COVID comes along, and I get laid off, like twenty five million other Americans, and kind of saw what was coming, or at least. I thought I saw what was coming in terms of COVID in New York City. I could just kind of sense it. I actually remember one day going to get water and it was scary. And I just said, you know what? This just isn't for me. And, and I consider myself fortunate for a multitude of reasons. One, I had a car in New York City, which is pretty rare. And yeah. two, I had a mother who lives in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And so I made the decision in middle of March to pack up and head south to Hilton Head, South Carolina, as I thought it was just a good place to hide out, certainly better than my 600 square foot apartment in New York City. You know, here I am, yes, unemployed, but besides that, everything was great. Golf courses didn't close in South Carolina for a single day during the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, for better or worse. 
beach is closed, but not really. We were still going for beach walks. I was working out. I was eating well. I felt good. I was basically on vacation. And I say this because I started feeling guilty. And guilt is this really strong emotion that for some of us doesn't go away. It just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And so this guilt led me down this path of trying to think about ways that I could give back and ways that I could help people less fortunate or in less fortunate situations that I was in. You know, I've been really fortunate to play some great golf courses in my life. And I just decided in that moment that I would reach out to my network of friends, either members or head professionals, assistant professionals, staff members of some of the most exclusive private golf courses in the country and just say, hey, would you be willing to donate a round of golf that I could then auction off on social media with the proceeds going to feed hospital frontline workers in New York City who at the time were eating out of vending machines and I just didn't think that was right. Wow. So when you first thought of this idea to give back, do you have any experience working in nonprofit organizations with charities? Is this all new to you? Or you've got a kind of little bit of experience to fall back on before you plunged in to give this a shot? I have a lot of experience in actual volunteer work. I spent six weeks in the Virgin Islands after Hurricane Irma and Maria with a group called All Hands and Hearts doing hurricane recovery volunteer work, which I could wax poetically about one of the best times of my life. Actually, we're doing an upcoming fundraiser for them, so just full circle, as a lot of things are happening for me these days. But in terms of the professional side of the nonprofits and fundraising, and absolutely zero, just nothing. But figured the skill sets that I had created through business development on the tech side and my passion for golf and nonprofits, I figured what the heck. And also, worse comes worse, I don't raise any money and I gave it the old college try. I thought there was just no downside at all. And I think when you enter opportunities where there's only upside and basically no downside, what's the biggest thing that happens? You just don't raise a lot of money. Yep. So you just put it out there and see what the universe would give back. And the universe gave back a lot in this case here. So you raised, if I, get, I don't know if you mentioned already, but I see over $100,000 for Project Frontline, I believe as you called it. So that gave you this incredible insight, what we call whether it's a for-profit business as a startup, as product market fit and getting traction. So after you saw the response, what did you think? What was your next step? Because you'd probably go in many different directions. What was your reaction? And then what was your next step? Yeah. And even taking one step back, it wasn't necessarily the amount of total money that we raised. Obviously, that was crazy because I was expecting like ten to 15,000. So it was way more. But what really blew me away was the response from people. I mean, I got hundreds of messages from people all around the world thanking me, wanting to donate additional rounds. It was a movement. And it was less the total number and more the response from people that made me realize, okay, something is here. I have hit on an emotional element of human beings that works. So there's something here. But even at that point, it was like, okay, this was fun. But I mean, I can't stress this enough. Like I didn't take a penny of the COVID auction. I handed over a big check. I just did it for fun. It wasn't a money-making opportunity at all. And then just very fortuitously, which a lot of the last eight months of, of my life have been, a couple writers in the golf industry had been following the story on social media and asked if they could interview me. And so next thing you know, I was written up in a bunch of golf magazines. The New York Post did an article on my story, and we got a decent amount of press. 
After that, again, I'm still just like, this is fun. This is great. Well, then about 20 nonprofits reached out and they said, you were so successful doing this for COVID. Can you help us with cancer and social services and youth golf and on and on and on? And I said, I think so. I mean, again, Colin, I don't have an experience in the nonprofit space and the fundraising space, but again, I can't stress this enough, fail fast, fail cheap and lean startup. And so I said, sure. And just figured out a scalable model that could work and spun it up into a platform called member for a day. Nice. So with the partner, so I find this interesting. So the media bump that you got there just helped you tremendously. And then the response you got back there nationally. There was certainly something there. So what was your next step? As they say in the entrepreneurial space, you don't want to boil the ocean. You don't want to do everything with everybody at once. And this hasn't been that long. Gosh, this has only been like, what, seven, eight, nine months or so from last May to where we are now. So how did you then scale this up without imploding? Because as you build your team and build the infrastructure, so the whole thing doesn't crash and burn. Yeah, I think the first thing in entrepreneurship is to surround yourself with people that are a lot smarter than you. And so a few things happen right after. The first is I immediately contacted a friend of mine named Joe, who from the moment that I met him about seven years ago, I told him, I said, you are going to be my co-founder. I just have to figure out the business. Joe is a technical genius. He's essentially good at everything that I'm not good at. And so we complement each other really well. And so the first thing I did was call Joe and just said, hey, this happened. I think there's something interesting here. Would love for you to just be part of it. And that was it. Nothing like, let's you know sign equity agreements. It's just like, let's just dive in, mess around in, in the sandbox and play around and see what we can create and see if we can really turn this into a platform that could raise millions of dollars. And then the second thing I did was I created an advisory board. And oddly enough, two of the people who are still on my advisory board today came through from the COVID auction. So they found the auction, they reached out. I either looked up their bio based on their email or something and figured out who they were and said, wow, these guys are legit. And so I had calls with them and they were clearly very passionate about what I'd created. And I asked them if they'd be on my board. And again, they still are today. And so I can't stress that enough immediately trying to surround yourself with open-minded, smart individuals who have skill sets that are much larger and wider than you do. That was the first step I took. And then the obvious ones, setting up an LLC, opening a bank account, that sort of stuff. But the first real thing was surrounding myself with people that are a lot smarter than I am. Yeah, that's such great insight for entrepreneurs everywhere, golf industry, tech, like for whatever industry sector you're in, that's a great way to kind of set up that uh, that solid foundation to give yourself the best chance of success. So thank you for sharing that. So let's run through how Member for a Day works. So walk us through the journey of how Member for a Day works to onboard charities and then getting people to bid. So, so tell us about that. When I did the COVID auction, this was my network. So I reached out to, like I said, the 20 or so people that I knew. But I realized very quickly if this was going to scale into a platform, there's no way I could just keep calling the same people and saying, hey, can you donate another round? Hey, can you donate another round? Eventually, there's a thing called donor fatigue. It's real. It exists. Mm -hmm. And so I had to figure out a model that scales. And essentially, the only way for us to do that is when we partner up with a nonprofit, the nonprofit is actually responsible for getting the rounds of golf. A lot of people don't realize this about my model. They think member for a day is like Dorothy and clicks their heels and just we get amazing golf courses, but it's actually through the nonprofit. If you mm. think about nonprofits, they have an existing donor network. Some of those donors are quite wealthy. A lot of wealthy people are members of great golf courses. 
So that's how we get the rounds of golf. That is the prerequisite for nonprofits to work with us. And then from that point forward, we handle everything else. We build a custom auction site. We market it on social media and email and all the payments, communication, and scheduling fulfillment, which surprisingly, I think when I first got into this, typical of a biz dev guy, I didn't really think about the operations too much. I just think of growth, growth, growth. Scheduling and fulfillment is a massive, massive, massive part of this business. We've auctioned off hundreds of rounds of golf already, and it's going to be thousands soon. And making the experience for both the host and the winner of those rounds as seamless and easy as possible. We tried using existing solutions. We tried using Calendly, and we actually broke it because what we're trying to do is too robust. Um, So we had to build it ourselves. Got it. Got it. Exciting stuff. So I'm looking at your website. I see you got the money raise ticker going there and it's over $750,000. So congratulations on that. Let's drill down into a case study and a a story here. So talk about, I'm just looking at your website here and I'm just going to choose one. You've raised over $217,000 for coaches versus cancer with the American Cancer Society. So tell us about that campaign and how that came about and how that works. Yeah, the coaches versus cancer one was definitely our largest and certainly had the most eyeballs and attention on it. It's just a classic. I met someone and he connected me with someone else. And next thing I know, I got connected to a group that organizes golf tournaments as well as basketball tournaments. And we were originally talking about doing something with their corn ferry tournaments. And so I was saying, let's do something with the Pro-Am and raise money for the Bahamas in Abaco. There was a hurricane and we can raise money. And we had all these ideas. And then they just casually mentioned they do some stuff with college basketball and coaches versus cancer. And so I just said, and this was totally spur of the moment because I didn't even know they did that. I just said, what about if we get every major division one basketball coach in the country that plays golf to donate a round at their home course? And there was Mm. like a silence for like five seconds. And I'm a big basketball fan. I should mention that. And then the guys go, that's a great idea. I was like, okay. Cool. So next thing you know, I'm on calls with Coaches versus Cancer and American Cancer Society. And we did exactly that. So we got around 100 Division I basketball coaches, including some of the biggest names in the sport. We had Rick Patino at Wingfoot. We had Roy Williams at Biltmore Forest, Lon Kruger at Southern Hills, Brad Underwood at Olympia Fields. I mean, I could literally go on and on. It was the biggest names in college basketball combined with some of the most prestigious golf courses. We also had MGM Resorts as a lead sponsor. They in turn sponsor a bunch of PGA Tour guys. So they donated around with Pat Perez at Shadow Creek. Friend of a friend was Ken Griffey Jr. So he threw in around at Grove 23, which is actually our biggest sale to date. That sold for over $22,000. It was just incredible. The campaign had over 2.5 million impressions. We reached over half a million accounts on Instagram. I, from a personal perspective, had so much fun because I got to interview Rick Patino and Lon Kruger and Coach Calhoun and just like some of the biggest names in the sport. And what was so cool is we did Zoom interviews where we talked for 15 to 20 minutes, but 99.9% of these guys every single day talk about basketball. And here I come along and say, let's talk about golf. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, Jim Beheim is the perfect example. He's a notoriously difficult interview. Ask anyone. You watch my interview on YouTube. I immediately ask him a question about his golf game and he lights up like a Christmas tree <laughs> because I know he's a huge golfer. And so as soon as I mention golf, it's like, boom, he's free. He doesn't have to talk about his defense and why they're struggling and this and that. It's just talking about golf and how many hole ones and your best shot and how many shanks you have and all this stuff. The same thing that you and I talk about. It was super fun and we raised a ton of money, like you said, over $217,000. 
And it's kind of continued since then. They've actually asked me to chair their council for the annual Coaches versus Cancer Golf Tournament, which is in June at Whistling Straits. If anyone's listening and is interested in participating, we have a few spots available. And even more so, the current CEO, Gary Reedy, who's retiring in April, is actually now a board advisor for member for a day. So just incredible, incredible things that came together because of that auction alone. Nice, nice. Another great thing I know that you've done too that all entrepreneurs need to embrace is don't try to create something from scratch, from a blank piece of paper that you're staring at in front of you. Look at other industries, other validators, other inspiration, things that work and kind of take the best elements of those and infuse those into what you're doing. So it sounds like no one had come up with this elegantly simple platform to bring together rounds of golf and charities and aggregate them like you have. So right after you did your first raise there for first responders in New York. What did you look at for other validators and pulling elements from other charities and and other market sectors to throw into the recipe here and mix it up to create member for a day? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. You know, I think when you look at the charity fundraising space, there are definitely some players in the sort of general online auction space. They'll do a little golf, but they'll also do backstage passes to Hamilton, lunch with Tim Cook, basically any and all experiences. And so I knew that there was a market for this. And there are some that do auctions. There are some that do sweepstakes, which for most people who know auctions is just like you bid, whoever bids the highest wins for sweepstakes, you enter by buying tickets and pull it out of the hat and somebody wins. So there's players on both spaces, but Mm -hmm. no one focused just on golf. For me, when I think about specifically the private golf space, you have by nature a very, very, very small supply and a very high demand, meaning it's pretty much impossible to play a private course unless you know a member or you are a member. And I would say the overwhelming majority of people who play golf want to play nice private golf courses. So just from a pure supply and demand perspective, it looks really well. And so ultimately, that was one of the aha moments to me. It was like, there's just really good supply demand economics here. And so because of that, I know we're able to raise a lot of money. Whereas other things like trips to Tahiti, anyone could buy a trip to Tahiti. Sure, it has an underlying value, but it doesn't have that limited supply like private golf does. Right, right. And it sounds like you've taken that next step that you're now really understanding the value of experiences, not just like physical access to some place that is limited or or off limits for you. So combining those two things of this awesome golf course that you never have access to, plus someone who you consider to be an awesome human that you could spend four or four and a half hours with, sounds like that is kind of the superpower that you've combined here. Would you say that's kind of taken it to the next level as far as the value of the bidding of combining those two things, exclusive golf courses and the celebrity status there? Yeah, for sure. I was just answering this question for someone yesterday is they were saying, you know, what percentage is it the course and what percentage is it the celebrity or the host? Mm -hmm. I still think it's probably about 60% the course, but then 40% the host. But for us to fundraise at a really, really high level, it's the combination, right? It's a round of golf with Michael Jordan at Grove 23. It's a round of golf with Steph Curry at the Olympic Club. We need those high-profile hosts at super high-profile exclusive golf courses. So we're working on a lot of things like that. We're having a lot of conversations with different sports agencies, professional athletes, retired athletes, teams in different organizations. 
Oddly enough, a lot of baseball players are interested, especially pitchers. If you think about it, they have a lot of time off between starts, and so they play a lot of golf. And it's funny because I'm in Scottsdale right now while spring training is going on, so they're all here. And they're all playing golf, so we're messaging a few of them right now. But yeah, 100%. I mean, my goal is to create a platform that allows people to have once-in-a-lifetime rounds of golf. And so when I say once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-lifetime could mean a round of golf at Marion or Shinnecock or Oakmont. But if you add in a big time celebrity or pro athlete or executive at a major Fortune 500 company, then it like really potentially does become once in a lifetime. And so that's what we're focused on. And those are the experiences that we're, we're going after right now. Got it. Got it. And taking that startup mentality, that lean startup mindset that you've talked about earlier, I'm assuming that you're always experimenting and tinkering and refining with the model and trying different things and see what works and what doesn't. Are you finding that with the bidding or the experiences you're offering, can you bid on being one person, then that gets randomly put with three others? Or is it for a foursome or the other one that it's you and two buddies, so three of you with that celebrity? So what, what are you finding resonates the most and has got the most traction so far? Yeah, oddly enough, we polled our audience recently and for the same price per person, people like threesomes with a host slash member more than unaccompanied foursomes, which I thought was really cool. And I think it speaks volumes to the experience, which is if you're an unaccompanied foursome, you are like a full guest. You don't know anyone there. You're kind of invited and then it's like time to go. If you have a host member, he can walk you around the clubhouse. He can show you the Eisenhower tree and the hidden wine cellar and the the 19th hole and all the stuff you'd probably forget. So that was a really good insight because the overwhelming majority of the rounds that we do are hosted by threesomes. That's kind of just the nature of the beast. Generally, if it's a hosted round with a member, there's less hoops to jump through. A member can pretty much do as he or she pleases at most courses. If they want to bring three guests, they can bring three guests. There's really no difference if it's auctioned off or not. You did mention saying we're a lean startup and trying new things. We're currently running an auction right now that's ending tonight. Obviously, this podcast will be released later, but we're doing an auction in partnership with Tom Coyne, famous golf writer. He's launching his next book, A Course Called America. And he's having a book launch golf event at Rolling Green on May 24th. So we're auctioning off spots to play with celebrities or well-known sort of social media influencers in the industry at that tournament. That's quite a difference for us because most of the times when we auction off rounds, they're good for about 12 months. And so you can just figure out schedules with the host and play whenever you want. This is a specific day for a specific event. Again, we're always trying new things and, and we fail and fail fast, but it's going really well. We're way over what we expected to bring in. So super, super exciting on that. Nice, nice. So, hey, you've been going at this for less than a year. It's amazing the explosive growth and the, the traction that you've received so far. What do you look at as the next steps? I'm up here in Canada. Are you looking to expand this in the Canadian market? Maybe eventually into the European market? Maybe, I don't know how the culture would work with Japan and South Korea being golf crazy countries there too. So what's next that you could share with us for a member for a day? Yeah, we've certainly been having conversations about expanding. We've had a couple calls with tournament directors for the European tour to expand upon the great work that they do, enhance their digital offerings, all the while raising a ton of money and awareness for a wonderful nonprofit. So that's definitely in the cards, Canada for sure. But expansion as a tech company to new regions is really easy. It's not like we're selling a physical product so we could expand to Canada tomorrow. I mean, it's literally that quick. Yeah, yeah. Where we're more focused on 
when I think about where we're going to be in a year, it's one thing to raise a lot of money for charity. It's the lifeblood of every organization. It's crucial. But in the nonprofit space, a lot of times money is is not as transparent as I'd like it to be. And so where I see this company going is on the content and storytelling side. So the way I've envisioned this is saying, hey, do you remember the $100,000 we raised for cause XYZ? Well, here's the impact on the world that it did. So essentially creating really, really compelling content around the impact of the money that we raise. And to me, that creates this beautiful cycle where we fundraise, we create awareness for the organization, and then we create really compelling content around the impact. And that we can just keep going and going because we continue to work with more and more amazing organizations and continue to raise money through the game of golf. And so when you think about what we're working on in the future, it's all about content and storytelling. Heck, I'm working on a digital TV series right now to essentially highlight everything that's good in the game of golf or what I like to say, sort of the intersection of charity and golf. So a year from now, we're going to be equally a media company as well as a fundraising platform. Love it. Love it. I love to use the word impact in what you're doing there. So people really understand where the money is going and eliminating that level of abstraction through storytelling that you're talking about. A great example that I came across about a year ago, listening to, I don't know if you ever listened to Reed Hoffman, who is one of the co-founders of LinkedIn and a partner at the investment VC firm Greylock, and it's called Masters of Scale, his podcast. And one of the guests that he had on is a guy who started Charity Water. And very interesting there is they want to be super transparent with where the money's going, that they will, even for their fails, they'll have, whether they're in Nairobi or wherever that is, and they're actually drilling a well there having water for that town. And it may not work, but at least with that, they're showing that does half of it go to management? Does half of it go to staff? Like, where does it go? So it sounds like you're also embracing that storytelling to make an impact, to, to make a difference through golf, which is great. It's amazing. Yeah, I reference this a lot. There's a TED Talk by a guy named Dan Pallotta, and I believe the title is called How We Think About Nonprofits Needs to Change, something like that. It just talks all about this kind of stuff, about the, the need to invest and, and make mistakes and pay for marketing and think of nonprofits just like we think of for-profits. And the problem is we don't. Literally, I watch this video every couple months because it reminds me why I do what I do and it keeps me on track. And I can't stress this enough for people who are interested in this space. Watch Dan Pilata's TED Talk. It'll change your life. Nice, nice. Well, I'll make sure that in the show notes, we'll not only include the links that people can find out more about and and access member for a day, but also these other references that you alluded to. We'll make sure that all of those are in the show notes also. Hey, I I know we want to jump on a Zoom call and have a conversation that expands upon this. And so I've got lots more questions that I, I wanted to ask you over there. But I I did want to ask you this one before we finish up, because you did mention earlier, made the comment, a member as the host, he or she. So it made me think, it's like, well, as far as the equitable piece here, we, we try to get as many women on the podcast as possible to tell their entrepreneurial stories. So with your platform, with the people that are bidding, are you finding that it's mostly men? or Are you able to look at the analytics and see who it is that's bidding on these and who's winning? Are you managing to get more women participate in this also in the process and all avenues of what you're doing here with Member for a Day? Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful question and one that I'm really happy you asked because it's something I think about all the time. The short answer is no. We are 90% male. And the last thing that I want to create is, and I don't mean this in any negative way at all, but is just to create another business that's mainly older white males. And that's generally what golf is. 
we are constantly working to get better at this. So one of my board advisors, Jess McAllister, a woman, obviously. So that was key. I, I had to have at least one woman. I'd like to have more, to be honest. I've actually had calls over the last couple of weeks about working with specific organizations around exactly this. I am in talks with some really large women-driven organizations. I'll kind of leave it at that for now, but there will be news released in the weeks and months to come doing some really big charitable things with getting more women into the game and minorities, I will say. I've spoken to several really amazing organizations. One that comes to mind immediately is Hype Golf that's run by a guy named Roger Steele out of Chicago. There's just no question that I'm going to spend an absurd amount of time focused on getting more women and more minorities into the game and doing everything that I can to leverage my platform to make sure that happens. We do our little bit here in the Mod Golf podcast with the platform we have to tell those stories of, to be honest, everybody that doesn't look like you and I, middle age, you're younger than me, but you're getting on in middle age, not quite there yet, but I'm certainly there, middle age white guys that play the game. We're very serious about that. And that is also the multi-billion dollar opportunity in the golf industry is how do you make golf more welcoming and accessible for everyone? And it sounds like that is top of mind for you with the work that you're doing and doing that from sounds like top down and also bottom up there between getting organizations and causes that align with women to get them involved to then start bidding on more and more rounds of golf. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, getting the the more women to bid would be amazing. And ultimately, I, I hope that it's women who are bidding on it to play themselves, not just getting it as a present for their husbands or their sons. We are always trying to get more women involved. It's just sometimes the numbers that make up this game don't add up to equality there. But yeah, we're doing everything we possibly can there. Nice. And you touched on it earlier as far as the power of partnerships to help you scale up very quickly here with what you've done. With partnerships, have you been talking to the PGA of America? I know people like Sandy Cross, who heads up their diversity and inclusion platform and mandate. Just wondering with what they're doing and some other groups people I've had on the show, like Latina Golfers, a wonderful, amazing, high-energy woman out of LA named Azusana Maldonado. It seems to me that would be a great person for you to connect with. I'm happy to make that introduction if you want. And I've got a whole bunch of them across the country that can connect you. Uh, Lisa Gaudet with Women's Golf Day. It seems like there's all kinds of opportunities there to align the planets and make something even bigger and better together. Yeah, well, the first thing is I welcome any and all introductions. So thank you for offering that. You know, you mentioned the PGA of America. We've been speaking to them quite actively over the last couple months. From my perspective, Colin, it is so crucial for Member for a Day and myself to make our message and our mission extraordinarily crystal clear to the governing bodies of golf. So that's the PGA Tour, that's the USGA, the RNA, and the PGA of America, and also some other sort of large organizations, LPGA 100% as well. And so having really, really deep partnerships with those organizations, I think is so crucial from a growth perspective, but also just from aligning our missions and really aligning ourselves into the, the game of golf. I mentioned it before, my background is in business development and partnerships. What I'm really good at is creating partnerships that create massive scale. So as we like to call in tech, one-to-many deals. And so I am always looking for opportunities where it can amplify drastically the magnitude of our growth and the amount of money that we can raise through charity through individual partnerships. 
Several of the organizations you mentioned are exactly where we're focused on right now. Although I will say, and it's especially important to me too, a perfect example is we have an auction right now with a group called Round of a Lifetime. They are tiny. They raise fifteen to $20,000 a year. I mention them because I don't want to think we're just an organization to raise money for massive, massive nonprofits. Incredible organizations. They're basically like a Make-A-Wish Foundation, but for golf. And we're going to raise their entire annual budget in six days. And that is ultimately as rewarding and fulfilling as it is raising $217,000 for American Cancer Society. So I just wanted to mention that as well. That's amazing. I'm so proud of the work that you're doing and so excited the fact that you're just getting started here. Like You're less than a year in with this baby. So you've obviously managed to lock into something. You've unearthed something here that with a lot of things that resonate elegantly simple, it's like, well, yeah, why don't we just structure it in this way? And the fact that you've managed to unlock this formula based on your previous experiences and your partnership building capabilities through your private business work in the past, super excited for you, Eric. This is amazing. So, hey, I can keep asking more and more questions, but I do want to wrap it up so we can jump on our video call for our Mod Golf YouTube channel. So we'll post there. So once again, I want to encourage our listeners to jump on over there because I will include that link also. uh, So you can go watch that afterwards. So we'll continue this conversation. But to finish up here, Eric, why don't you mention to our listeners where they can learn more both on social media and also your website presence here for Member for a Day? Yeah. So our website is memberforaday.com, all the words spelled out. And then I am very active on Instagram at Member for a Day. And so either of those is basically where we release all of our auctions and content on impact of what we're doing. And from a consumer standpoint, if you want to play great, great exclusive rounds of golf, all the while supporting incredible nonprofits that are changing the world in a positive way, I want you to think of Member for a Day. Please follow us. Please reach out. Please message us. If there are causes near and dear to you that you want to support and you want to potentially run an auction through our platform, don't hesitate to reach out. That's why we're here. My platform is yours. And and ultimately, our goal is to raise millions of dollars through the game of golf. Amazing. Amazing. Love it. Love it. So Eric Sidrance, founder and CEO of Member for a Day. This has been great. I'm so glad that we met. And a lot of people ask, why do I do the Mod Golf Podcast? We have some sponsors, which we love between British Columbia Golf and Golf Genius Software that help keep the lights on and and support us that way. But I've had this opportunity to meet almost 100 amazing humans like you, then a lot of them I consider friends now, and 100 mentors that I've had. So I'm so glad that we were introduced and I have a feeling that we're just getting started. Once this COVID thing settles down a bit and we get some vaccination shots in our arms, I, I can't wait to make it back down south and hopefully we can play a round of golf if you can tolerate my 14 handicap. Absolutely, Colin. It'd be my pleasure and thank you so much for having me on and look forward to playing golf soon in a post-COVID world. Sounds great. All right, Eric, you take care. Bye for now. So that'll do it for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eric Sendras, founder and CEO at Member for a Day. If you'd like to learn more about Eric and the impactful fundraising work Member for a Day does, visit our episode show page where we've included website links and contact information. The video link for my extended conversation with Eric is also on the episode show page. And please subscribe to our Mod Golf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when I speak with Martin Weyeth, who shares his entrepreneurial journey that led to the creation of Power Tea. I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. 
Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. Our friends at Golf Genius Software have added a new digital scorecard option to their live scoring capabilities of its tournament management platform. So if you're a golf course owner or operator, consider checking them out online at golfgenius.com to find out how they can reduce your workload, let you have more fun, and generate more revenue. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.